Amen. So uh, the Holy Spirit said to me today when I was in the car, he said, Chris, you cut knife with a butter, not a sledgehammer. So, sorry, cut, what did I say? I don't know. He said, cut butter with a knife, sorry, not a sledgehammer. He said, Chris, cut butter with a knife, not a sledgehammer. This morning I used a sledgehammer, so I've been politely told to use a knife. So I'm going to um, redo this talk with a knife. Because... Today is the 12th of February, 2023, and uh, as we've just been praying, you know, there's been two major earthquakes this week. The first major earthquake was uh, what happened in Turkey and Syria, but the other major earthquake that happened was in this nation when the Church of England decided to vote on um, blessing same-sex marriage, which I think, you know, basically at that moment, a line has been crossed a line which, which they've now moved over, and it separates light from darkness, it separates uh, that which is truth from that which is apostate. And so it, it, it really upsets me, it really grieves me, you know, what I saw this week. I obviously I knew it was going to go that way, but, but even so, I don't think I could have, I don't think I slept that, that night when they gave that vote, because I was just so stunned. You know, when I first got saved, I got saved into an Anglican church, and I was confirmed and baptized there. And I was kind of hoping to one day retire and go back to an Anglican church. So there goes my retirement plans. Um, but I, I was deep, deeply, deeply saddened by the decisions that they have made. And, you know, God had given me a, a couple of um, pictures and words for the Anglican church a little while back. And one of them was, I was this was a, a waking vision. And in, in this vision, I was inside this wonderful Anglican church in this beautiful building with all the stained glass windows. And it, when, in those days, they made things for the glory of God. Hallelujah. Okay. This is a lovely building, but, you know, we don't have a, an ornate carving that took 30 years to build. You know, everything's up quite quick these days. But in those days, they really built things slowly and for the glory of God. And I was in this building and it was so beautiful. And I was taken all the way around it. And then I was taken outside of it and the doors were shut and these padlocks and chains were put around the door and this lock. And then God said very clearly, I am shutting her down as a chastisement. And it, some of these, not all of the Anglican church, but a lot of the Anglican church will be shut down and uh, it was padlocked and people could not go into those buildings. These are glorious buildings that people like to come to go and see that as a part of her chastisement, they will be shut and they will be locked and they will remain locked for a while, for quite a long time until God lifts that chastisement. But you see how God is a loving God, he's a kind God, he's a generous God. And even Laodicea was the most apostate church in its time. When I, on my study of Revelation, when I, when I studied the church of Laodicea, I was surprised at just how apostate she was, to the point where, where it was like, these guys have really, really lost the plot. Uh, yet, out of all the churches in the book of Revelation that survived, it was Laodicea. She survived for some 700 years, whereas the others like Ephesus and stuff like that, they only lasted for about 350. So, so, so Laodicea got the message. Laodicea got the memo. Laodicea heard it and, and received it and they changed their way into the point where the city of Laodicea, there were churches all over it. One of the, one of the streets, there was a whole street that was the, the whole length of a street was itself a church. 
So it was a, it was a vibrant city for, for the things of the kingdom of God. And it was instrumental in various things throughout church history as well. My point is, is that you can take the church to the point of absolute apostasy. And God in his grace, if they turn, will give them back their candlestick. Amen. And I do believe that God has a plan for the Church of England, but I do believe at the same time we're going to see a great humbling of the Church of England and much of it will be closed down and will be shut down for a period of time. That grieves me to say these things. I'm sure it grieves the Lord to see these things happening in a church that once stood for his name. Let's not forget that the, the Church of England was a Protestant church which stood against uh, at that time, the, uh, the things that were going on in the Catholic Church, which weren't good. And so we had to have a reformation. We had to have a, this movement to, to put right things, to get back to the heart of Scripture. And I find it ironic now that, you know, one of those main key Protestant churches is now itself guilty of the same crimes of which it came out of. And so, again, we are needing reformers to rise up, to go up with something you know, like uh, Luther did with the 95 things that he wrote down and he, he whacked it onto the door of the church in Wittenberg, uh, nailed it onto that door, which they reckoned was, whether it's true or not, was the beginning of, of the whole Reformation. And I believe it's now time for another Reformation. It's now time for us to now move forward. It's now time that, that, you know, a line is put in the sand. And it's now time, you see, Christians can't hide in the grey anymore. There, there is becoming more apparent darkness and light. And you can't hide in the shadows anymore. And it's becoming very apparent. And you have to choose your side. Are you going to walk with Belial and darkness? Or are you going to walk with truth and walk with God. But of course, if you walk with truth and walk with God, then expect persecution. And I believe in this next move of God that the persecution will not come from the world, although you'll get some of it from there. But I believe the majority of the persecution will actually come from within. It will come from the church. Because what God is going to do is going to seem so harsh, really, to the softer, weaker church because it's a people that are standing again for that which is true and that which is just and that which is righteous and that which is holy. And therefore, to the churches that do not walk in those ways, the words that we say will almost be an abomination to what they stand for. And so you will get much resistance and much persecution from the church within. We're now at the days, well, I guess we always were in various, varying degrees, uh, of uh, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, where it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We are now, or we are not, but the Anglican Church is now saying the blood of Christ does not free you from sin. The blood of Christ cannot free you from the powers of darkness. The blood of Christ cannot free you from the grip of Satan. For now there is no real sin and there is no real Satan and there is no real bondage to darkness. Because that's what it means when we take that which is sin and we call it good. When we condone something which the church disagrees with. 
Now, I need to make this clear. If the church has to capitulate to the social norms, then we need to apologize for abolishing slavery. Because in the day when Wilberforce was around, the social norm was slavery. It was perfectly acceptable to have a slave. It was perfectly acceptable to do those things. Should the church, ever capi- uh, ha- should the church capitulate and say, yes, we embrace slavery because that's what culture is doing. Therefore, we want to be socially relevant. Therefore, we must embrace slavery. But it wasn't. It was, well, I'm sure many in the church did agree with it, but there were a few brave people, a few brave souls that stood up and said, you know what? No, this is not wrong. These are people made in the image of God and we will not have this. And these people fought for most of their political careers, for most of their lives at that time to fight for the freedom that slavery will be abolished. And here we are now where people are held captive and slavery to sin, and now the Church of England is capitulating and saying, we endorse this. Jesus came to set the captives free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And now the Anglican Church has crossed the line basically saying, we endorse the slavery of human beings to sin. These are the days where we call evil good and good evil. Now, has this happened before? Absolutely it has. Throughout church history, we've had many moments in time where the church has really, quite honestly, lost the plot. In the first century church, we have the, um, the, the, the circumcision faction that tried to get all the Gentiles circumcised, etc. And then towards our AD 100, we then have an AD 150, we have Gnosticism coming into the church. By AD 350, the whole, pretty much the whole of Christendom was uh, involved in the cult of Arianism. Where, that, but where they state that Jesus is not God, but less than God, but slightly above an angel. Okay, which is what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. That is Arianism. And the whole church pretty much believed it until a few people, bishops like Athanasius, etc., stood up and said, no, this is wrong. This is not what the scriptures say. And so we as believers and we as Christians, uh, we have to start to stand up now. You can't hide in the gray. You can't be silent on these issues anymore. All of you in this room and all of those watching this and all those listening to this, you can't be silent anymore. You can't sit there and just let this slide. You can't just sit there and just let this one go because it's now up to you and it's now up to me to stop this tide coming any further in the church. We need to say a line is drawn here this far, no further. We are going to hold this ground. Now I need to say... In case people are, you know, sometimes people listen to, to me and they go, you know, Chris is really anti-gay. I am not anti-gay in the sense of I am anti those people. We as a church, we have had some, uh, we've had some wonderful people come in and out of this church. And some of those people are gay. And they will all say of us that they are a loving church. But they also know that we are not going to change our doctrine on orthodoxy. So they know that they're loved and we have taken good care of them and watched over them and helped them. But we say this is what the Bible teaches. And I'm sorry for those that are listening to this. But the fact is, if I fudge and change those things, then basically I'm no longer walking in the Christian faith. And that is how it is. And I'm sorry, but I can't change my opinion to your opinion 
because this is the word of God. This is what we stand on. This is what Jesus died for. And it takes, it takes guts to start to stand up and say something. Because in this day and age, you know, we could get made guilty of saying it's a hate crime to say what I've just said. And yet loads of Christians get death, death threats, but no one calls that a hate crime. We're living in a really peculiar and dangerous society at this moment in time. Let's turn with me to, or turn with me to 2 Timothy, verses 3 to 5. Or let's read from verse 1, actually. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. It's talking about, you know, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. It goes on about all these things, you know, uh, rebellious children, people, lovers of self. And it goes to verse 5 saying, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Well, what does that mean? The appearance of godliness, but denying its power. In other words, a church that uses the language of Christianity, uses the pretense of prayer and, and all of the externals and the trippings and trappings that look Christian, but at its very heart denies the power. I do a lot of ministry for people as a pastor. And let me tell you, it's deeds of darkness, which is what puts people into bondage. It's the deeds of darkness that mess up people's lives and screw up families and all kinds of things. And it's only the power of Christ and his gospel that can set people free. Amen. And if we're going to fudge and change the gospel to suit the society norms, then we are disemboweled, disem uh, uh, taking the power out of the cross. And we're saying that what Jesus did 2,000 years ago is no longer relevant and it's just a lie. It is not a lie. It is the gospel is the power of God to salvation to those who believe first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And if there's ever a time which we ought to get serious with this message and serious about this book, it has to be now. And it will cost some of us. I believe God is looking for reformers. I believe God is looking for people who will rise up. You see, in this day and age, we have three things that are coming against this nation. Over th there's three key areas which I believe God is going to humble us on. It's interesting, in the book of Revelation, it talks about 666, which is the system of the beast, which is the religious system, the political system, the governmental system. And it's the very three things that God is going to shake in this nation. He's going to shake the political system. He's already doing it. He's going to shake the financial system and he's going to shake the church. Because you see, the church should be a kingdom that cannot be shaken. But she's got so much worldliness in her, he has to shake the worldliness out so that we can be a pure people for Jesus. And so God, you see, where there's a split between light and darkness, it looks like those in the light are radical. I'm not asking you to be radical. I'm asking you to be orthodox in your Christian faith. And just to stand up for the orthodoxy that's been in the church tradition for 2,000 years and in scripture, that we stand up for it. And we stand up for it in this day and age. 
And I call upon all church leaders, all of the people out there in some kind of spiritual authority. I challenge you and I adjure you in the name of Jesus to stand up and to say, we're not going any further on this. We are drawing a line here and that is the end of it. Church of England, she's made a decision, but we are not going to go down that road. We are not walking that way. We are walking the narrow path. We're not going down the wide path. Hallelujah. It's all right. You don't need to clap. You're right. You're good. We don't want churches that have a form of godliness about them but deny its power. There is power in the cross. And this is why we cannot capitulate on social norms, because if we do so, we will destroy the power of the church. The church has been neutered, and she's been neutered from within. But if we want to see the things that we wish to see in the things of God, and see revival, and see renewal, and see reformation, it comes when Christians just start getting back to basics. Amen? And it's all about Jesus. It's all about his word. And if this is what his word says, then we just do what his word says. Hallelujah. Turn with me to Psalm 85, verse 6. You see, as, I, as I've studied church history, whenever there's been these moments... In, in, in the history of the church, there's always been the turning point. It's always been a brave few men or women. It's always been a brave few that at the point where the church is in dire, dire uh, uh, straits because of what it's done to itself, really, it's then it takes a brave few individuals that do something and then God brings about reformation or reformation of his church. And unfortunately, the Protestant church needs a reformation. The irony that, that caused the reformation, the, the Protestants came out of the reformation, the irony is, is that the Protestant church needs a reformation. It's really sad. However, God is good. Eight, Psalm 85, verse 6. And it says, uh, Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you, Lord? Will you not revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you. I'm longing to see God revive his church again. You see, we all of us, we need to be revived. Everyone individually here, you need to be on fire for Jesus and going for him with all that you've got. But we also need God to do something in his church as well, which goes beyond us, which is a, a move of his spirit. And I spoke about this a few weeks ago. We need God to revive his church. I'm excited to hear what's going on in Kentucky at the moment. There's a Bible college out there, and I think they've, they're claiming to have a revival. It started about three days ago. Uh, it's in a theological college, and they all came together. I think it's Asbury, the name of the place. But they all came together and just having a normal service, you know, worshipping, praising God. And they're still going. Three days later, they haven't stopped, just worshipping and praising God. There's people from all around the area trying to get there. You can't get a hotel there at the moment because all the hotels are filled. Because people are coming, people are hungry. Yet on, on the natural, it looks like you watch it and go, well, it just looks like a normal worship service. What's going on? Obviously, it's the presence of God. People are coming forward to the altar and they're being set free from their sins and being set free from the power of Satan and the power of darkness. And therefore, that's why we have to be a church that holds to these things. The, G the gospel that Jesus preached was a freedom message. Yeah. 
No, you know, it was freedom from bondage to slavery to sin, freedom from the powers of darkness, freedom from those things. So that you know, Jesus says, you know, Satan comes to rob, steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and life in abundance. Amen. Hallelujah. There is an abundant life that every believer can have in Christ. Every one of us can have this abundant life in Christ if only we just reach out and if only we just take and avail ourselves of the grace and the kindness of God because it's the long-suffering of God that leads many to repentance. Hallelujah. God wants his people revived. You know, 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, You know, if my people humble themselves and pray, I will turn and I will heal their land. And if there's ever a time that the church needs to be a praying people, if there was ever a time that we need God to favor this land and to bring healing to this nation, I tell you, it's now. I, I, I am surprised how many Christians are not just not awake. You see, here's, 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 here's your division line, okay? You're either woke or you're awake. All right, that is it. You're either woke or you're awake. Which one is it, church? Because that's your dividing line and that's now where you choose, woke or awake. And if you're awake, then you must grab a hold of the fact that we can't be silent anymore. That we as a people can't be, oh, I don't want to offend anybody. Because you see, you, you know, even in a conversation, if you want to have an honest conversation, like husband and wife, you know when business needs to be done? You can't go, oh, you can't say that, you're offending me. It's in the place of offence that truth gets said sometimes, and then you both sort it out, and you come out the better and the stronger for it. Yeah? I remember seeing this interview on TV, and, and this woman was having a go at this guy saying, oh, you know, you're this, that, and the other, and you're not very tolerant and stuff, and, and you're, you're, in, you're insulting and offending all these people by the things that you say. And he said, well, I find it interesting that you have no problem in offending me to say what you want to say. He said, however, it's inoffensive conversation that sometimes we can actually get to the heart of things and say actually what needs to be said. Using this whole I'm offended as an excuse to not listen to what people are saying is a real shame and a sham on today's society where we shut up, put down and try to rewrite history because it's just damn inconvenient. I was told when I was younger, this is psychology 101, if you're offended at somebody, you are the one with the problem. Fix yourself and then sort it out. As opposed to, you're offending me, just go away, do away with this person, sack him, whatever. This is not the way. Hallelujah. We need Jesus. Oh man, we need Jesus in this land. You see, we are fast approaching the end of days. And uh, I remember years ago, I, 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 again, God speaks to me in dreams. And I had this dream and uh, I was sat on the beach and Leviathan was coming up and down the beach and he was trying to get onto the shores of Britain. He was trying to get on the land, but he was being withheld. And um, at that time, there was some uh, treaty that was being done in Europe. And, uh, and I saw the book of Revelation open on, on the beach. And this uh, treaty, I can't remember what it was called now, was being, that was being signed at the time, was spinning in 3D letters over the Bible. And then the Holy Spirit shot across the sky and he said, You are so close to the end of days, you need to wake up! And then I woke up. But it made me realize, it was like, wow, we are living in very dark days. But the thing is, we are, we're like frogs in water, aren't we? 
we're just like, well, you know, it's not so bad. You know, we kind of put up with it. We put up with a bit more. We put up with a bit more. We put up with a bit more. And even when we see things like we've seen in the news today, even when newspapers are saying, even God is now having his gender changed. People say, or I've thought, you know, I haven't done any teaching, have I, on the gender of God. You want to know why? Because it's kind of obvious. It's like, okay, right? I think, right, okay, Jesus, who is God, and is fully human, how did he address God? Our Father who art in heaven. That works for me. Job done. My smart theology sorted. I don't feel the right to question it or the need to change it because I want to again capitulate to social norms. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. <laughs> Elohim. Elohim is a hymn. Yeah, very good. Yes, yes, that's true. And, and that is true, you know. And, and this was raised the other day. You know, God does have a pastoral tender heart. So Jesus says himself, you know, oh, I wish to, 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 to look after you and to mother you like, like a, a mother hen uh, broods over its chicks. But guess who said that? It was Jesus, who is at that time in his physical form and still is male. So he's saying a mothering attribute, but he's still essentially male. The Apostle Paul. He, he talks about people about sometimes he's really harsh with congregations. Sometimes he was very feminine with them and he's like, he wants to look after them and coo over them like a, like a mother for its child. But Paul, is he a man or a woman? He's a man. So there's nothing wrong in scripture when God, who seems to always call himself a he for some reason. OK, I'm just going to go with that because he's God and I don't know. And uh, he says, I'm a he. But sometimes he has these mothering qualities, just like many other guys do, just like some women. You get some women that can be quite butch. <laughs> I rephrase that just like you get some women who may come across with some very masculine gun ho type um, responses this is going to have to be seriously edited <laughs> okay try again thank you yeah Beep. okay so you'll get some women that have very masculine attributes on how they deal with things but they're still women so the, these things, that's why I've never really dealt with them at church, because it's like, as far as I'm concerned, it seems perfectly obvious when I read my Bible. And that's what worries me, that to many Christians, this isn't obvious. And that's one of the reasons why I haven't spoken about it, because in speaking about it, what am I actually trying to make us think about here? Am I trying to somehow subtly manipulate you to think that maybe there is something to this, this whole gender thing? Because there isn't. And that's why I'm not going to talk about it. Let's go to Joel 2. I've got one of these slimline Bibles. It's a bit hard to find some of these books. So it's before Amos. Joel chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 28 to 31. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. 
and your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants. In those days I'll pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. In other words, Scripture says that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. So I have no problem with there being some kind of end time revival. I know a lot of Christians that, I don't know, they may need to take a happy pill or something. They just think, oh, we're all doomed. It's all, we're all, that's it, we're done for. Jesus is coming back for like two Christians somewhere and that's the end of it. That is not what I see. No disrespect, but if, if the Antichrist came and revealed himself next week and he started killing Christians, he'd be done in Britain after about a day. But that's not, that's not what I see in scripture. I see in scripture that he has a battle on his hands. He, he, he's, he's, you know, for the time that he's ruling and reigning, he is trying to di diminish and get away with the voice that resists his voice, which is the voice of the church and the people of Israel. If there was no, if there's hardly any church in that hour, what on earth is he doing? I believe sincerely and absolutely there will be a very, very wonderful revival at the end of days. And I, I have no problems with believing that. People say, oh, but well, Chris, there's a great turning away in the end of days. There's always been a great turning away. We're having a great turning away throughout time now. But as I've seen one end of the world having a great turning away, I've seen another part of the world having a great turning back. You know, at this moment in the Western world, uh, certainly in Britain, we are apostatizing and we are turning away from God. But at the same time, I know that in Iran and various places like that, God is moving powerfully and there's a silent revival going on there. It's not as black and white. You know, we like to compartmentalize things. It just doesn't work like that. And so if there's a day or a time, I implore every one of us today that I, I have a heart for this nation. And I believe God is going to do wonderful things in this nation, but it's going to be born out of adversity. It's going to be the worst of times and it's going to be the best of times. And we're going to see wonderful things in this day. We're going to see even the resurrection, I believe, as well, of the Church of England after she's been humbled. She will come back, not in her fullness of form now, but she will come back. So maybe I have got something to retire to after all. But I do believe that she will come back. Uh, and she will be the best of the ancient and the best of the modern blended together in this wonderful way. And some of you might think, why would God even want to reestablish and establish, the, you know, like a traditional church like that? Surely God's not into that. God's into any church which honors him. And any church throughout history has taken the time and has prayed to him and has offered incense up to him in their prayer and their sacrifice and their worship for hundreds and hundreds of years counts for something, actually. You might not think it does. But in God's eyes, it does. This nation, I believe a lot of things are going to happen in this nation are not because of necessarily just our prayers, but the prayers of the saints that have gone on for the last few hundred years before us. You know, there's, there's the blood of the martyrs on this nation. We've had many people martyred for their faith. And I believe God, God honours that blood. I believe God's going to listen to that blood. As the blood of Abel cries out from the ground still today, so the blood of those martyrs still cries out. And those martyrs, according to Revelation, are under the throne room of God as well, under the altar, sorry, crying out, Lord, avenge our blood, avenge our blood. And I believe God is going to avenge their blood by doing a wonderful thing, by taking their enemies, 
which were like swords and turning them into plowshares, which is where God turns the enemies of God and turns them into trophies of grace. Hallelujah. Like the apostle Paul, the man that came to destroy the church, God turned him around to make the very, the very thing that would bless the church and help the church and protect the church and keep it going. And we're still reading his letters today. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord God, you reform your church. Lord God, and I pray you give, raise up many voices in this day, Lord, politically, in education, in government and in your churches, Lord Jesus, to say, you know, enough is enough. This is it. We're standing up for the Bible. We're standing up for truth. We're standing up for the name of Jesus. Even if it costs us everything that we are, our reputations, our job, our families, everything. Lord God, I pray you will raise up men and women of valour in this day to help lead your church and to stand for your church, Lord Jesus, to stand for the word. And Lord, I pray you reform us and pray that you revive us. Lord Jesus, and we ask this in the precious name of Jesus and all the saints said, Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you.